G'day friends, welcome back. Really, I mean really good weekend of football. Only seven games, but gee whiz, there were some rippers in there. Um, yeah, really good game of football, really good weekend of football, sorry, I should say. Unless you're a Saints fan, which I will get into. I'm going to leave the St Kilda stuff until the end, because not only do I have all of that to talk about, there's been more horseshit on footy classified tonight. I was just, you know, scrolling through the internet, just doing nothing just before, and then a video from tonight's edition of the show popped up, and it just was really, really frustrating to see again. So I'm going to address that at the end. I'll talk about all the other games first because I don't want this to be the St Kilda show, but I cannot ignore it all. So, yeah, I'll leave it till last, and I'll talk about all the other awesome stuff that happened during the round first. So, let's get into it. Thursday night, we had Geelong getting over the line against Port Adelaide in Adelaide by 21 points. I thought this this game is going to get forgotten in the scope of the weekend, but it is really, really interesting to me, this result. I'm not, like, it's not surprising that Geelong won. It's surprising the way that they won. Like, Port Adelaide, I mean, it was a ripper game, really, really good game. Good contest. It was a finals-like game. And Port Adelaide blowing the lead that they got early in that last quarter. Like, they kicked, what, one, two, three goals in quick succession in the first few minutes of the last quarter to get a couple of goals in front. And then Geelong just went bang, 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 bang. Like, they kicked a ton of goals they kicked six goals in the last quarter. Geelong to three. And totally ran over the top of Port Adelaide. There was no desperation in Port Adelaide. There was no fight. There was no ability to conserve the game and stop Geelong from scoring. They couldn't do it. And it wasn't the first time. It happened in the second quarter as well. Geelong kicked a bunch of goals in a row. And, yeah, Port just couldn't handle it. And... They, they keep denying it, but they are. They're flat-track bullies. And if you don't know what that means, it means they walk all over the sides that they should be. They smash the lower sides. But then they can't take on the teams that are their own size. They, they, they've been beaten at home now by um, Geelong, by the Bulldogs, and I think another top-eight side got them at home as well. They, they, or maybe they lost to someone in Melbourne. I don't know. But... Yeah, like Port are very, very quickly slipping away from being able to 
contend for the Premiership this year. They're going to play finals, but they are going to need to make top four to be any kind of a chance of being there in the grand final. And all these games that they're dropping at home, just I'm a little bit surprised. I tipped them to win the whole thing this year, and they've just not been... They, they haven't fallen completely off the face of the earth, but they've definitely taken a step back from the quality that they were exhibiting last year. Geelong, on the other hand, are flying really nicely under the radar. Everyone's talking about Melbourne and the Bulldogs and Brisbane, but everyone's forgetting a little bit about Geelong, who is the sleeping giant in the top four at the moment. Um, Like Cameron, Hawkins and Rowan have kicked 12 goals between them. That they are so dominant up forward, and they are so well-drilled and so mature. I, I, like, there, I can see no reason why they can't go... Oh, excuse me, why they can't go the whole way. They're playing really, really good footy, and beating Port Adelaide in Adelaide will give them an enormous amount of confidence. So, well done, Geelong. All right. Then on Friday night, this was an enormous surprise to me. It wasn't like a little surprise. This was an enormous surprise. Hawthorne beating Sydney by 40 points. How in the holy fuck did that happen? How? Like, Sydney never at all looked in this game. Like, Hawthorne just were totally in control, didn't let Sydney even get back to sort of level. They just chipped away at them, broke their will. They put them under a lot of pressure. There was a lot of heat on the ball, and Sydney just buckled underneath it. Like, Sydney are currently the top eight team. They're in sixth. And, like, Hawthorne, uh, what, second bottom. This, by the way, is the first time ever that the teams in 18th, 17th, 16th, and 15th have all won in the same round, which is really interesting. Um... But yeah, Hawthorne just applied a ton of pressure. They, they had a really, like, specific game plan, and they stuck to it. They just put a load of heat on Sydney, and they did not let up. And, you know, the goals flowed. And, like, the game was still sort of, you know, within reach for Sydney going into the last quarter. And then Hawthorne just kick four goals in a row, and that's it. Like, it, it was a really, really impressive performance from a young Hawthorne side and and everything that's almost been working for them this year just all came together and worked really well. Jayath was brilliant off halfback. Their new guy, um, Jai Newcomb, um, 14 tackles, I think it was, which is a record for a debutante. Like, Phillips kicks a couple of goals. He hasn't been the you know, he hasn't ripped the competition apart as Hawthorne's big recruit, but, you know, he played really well. Um, yeah, it all just, that there were no, you know, except for Mitchell, who was, again, the big accumulator, 34 and a goal and 16 contested possessions. But apart from that, there were no monster performances. It was a really good team effort from Hawthorne, <coughs> and it was a really good team effort 
from Sydney to just flop down. And it makes him kill to look even worse as well, because we couldn't even beat him last week. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Sydney will bounce back. And, you know, this is, this is going to happen to relatively young teams, even teams that are going very well. They're going to, you know, get jumped. They may get a little bit arrogant. They might be like, oh, yeah, Hawthorne are really struggling and we're going hot. We're just going to go in, play the way we play, and we'll win. And I think Clarkson knows that, and he took advantage of it. He, I mean, Clarkson and Longmire love playing against each other. they got this little, you know, sort of cheeky rivalry going on. But, yeah, like, Hawthorne just had a really effective game plan and executed it brilliantly. And then, you know, this is the result you get. All right, and then on to... Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Fremantle versus Gold Coast. I forgot about this game, unsurprisingly. Fremantle got the job done by 27 points, but boy, was it a struggle, and I don't mean for them. This was one of the worst games. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the worst game I've ever seen, I've watched a lot of football, it's hard to say that, but it's the worst game I can ever remember. This was terrible. I I only watched, I don't know, maybe a quarter and a half, two quarters of it at most. Part of that was the enormous stretch in the second quarter where no goals were scored and all the ball did was bounce back and forth between the arcs. It was remarkable how much difficulty both teams had maintaining possession of the ball. Every time one team would get it, they would turn it over immediately. It was very rare that you would see a chain of possessions that reached more than three or four. The ball would get turned over. It, like, it It was astounding. The, the, and, like, uh, I don't know, like, these two teams are pretty much around the same level of development, if you ask me. Um, Frio are a little bit ahead. They got a bit more, I think, developed talent. Um, but, you know, Frio have a ton of injuries, like a ton of injuries. So I thought, you know, Gold Coast, you know, this is the exact kind of game that they would, you know, duck over to Perth and just win. Oh, no, 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 no. Gold Coast were, if, if the whole game was bad, Gold Coast were really bad. Like, not only did they butcher the ball passing it between themselves, they kicked six goals, 13, which is not great. That's like, that's normally what Fremantle does. So, I bet they felt really good being on the good end of that kind of kicking. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Fremantle were just able to, just with a little bit more composure, control, touch more maturity... And, you know, having Brayshaw in the middle didn't hurt either. Just took the game, you know, by the balls a little bit and just... And, like, they opened the game up, which opened the scoring up in general. Gold Coast were able to get some goals as well. But I think I think that was Fremantle's plan. Open the game up a little bit just so they can score themselves. Sometimes you have to do that. Dougal out, what? No, um... Sometimes you have to do that to be able to win. So they did that. Brayshaw and the other Frio midfielders were really, really good um, 
Ryan, very good again. Sean Darcy is, you know, reminding everyone that he's one of the best young ruckmen in the comp. Well, not that he's not really young anymore, but he's in there with Marshall and English and these guys. Um, but yeah, Gold Coast, they'll be really disappointed with how they performed. Like, really, like a bit insipid, honestly. I don't know how many more years Gold Coast are going to be able to go on like this and just be allowed to do it. Because, you know, they're going to finish bottom six again this year. Um, when a lot of people sort of anticipated they would move up towards the top eight, maybe not in, but move towards it, and they've been disappointing again. So at some point they need to switch into gear. Um, I don't know if Stuart Jew's the man for them. I'm not sure. Um, he's been there for a little while now. He's got a lot of really talented players, and they just seem to be going nowhere. And they are looking down the barrel of further player exodus. Like, all of their best players that have ever existed at the Gold Coast Football Club have all gone. They're all gone. Like, you could talk for hours about all the players that have walked out the door and come to Melbourne or wherever and become superstars. Um, and they got a lot of really, really good kids there at the moment, and they've got to hang on to them, except Ben King. Let Ben King go. All right, moving on to... Oh, the draw. <clears throat> we had a draw. North Melbourne and GWS. What another really, really interesting game. I love the way that North Melbourne are playing. They're playing with so much flair and pizzazz and excitement and just, like, I think David Noble has got them playing the exact right way for where they're at. Just go for it. Just go for it. If you make a mistake, who gives a shit? You're going to finish last anyway. Have a crack. And they are seriously having a crack. Like, look at the way a lot of their goals were kicked. They were like bananas on the run. They're just like showing off their skills and having a good time. Like, I would be really, really excited if I'm a North fan for what is going to come in the next few years because these, these really good talented young players that they've got they're going to develop refine their skills and then they're going to be able to integrate a game plan that's going to be really really effective at utilizing the skills that have been able to develop by being able to play a more free-flowing game style it's a really really smart approach and north nearly had this game they had it so under control they should have won but we disappointed that they didn't win because they should have won and gws arguably should have won as well. <laughs> like, they, they should have beaten North Melbourne. It's North Melbourne. GWS are trying to get into the eight, and they couldn't knock off North Melbourne. Like, come on. I mean, they got themselves two points at least, which is not bad. But, like, they were kind of, like, a bit dumbfounded by the way North were playing. Didn't expect them to have so much pizzazz, and they had to work really hard to get the game back under control, and they couldn't quite... Couldn't quite get back in front. But, yeah, like, really good game down in Tassie. And I, I think the more North plays like this and the more North plays like this down in Tasmania, it's going to be great for them. They're not going to need to move down there, but they're going to be able to, you know, build a really solid supporter base down there. You know, maybe they can play 
half a dozen games down there a year. I don't know how many they're playing now. I think it's like four, but they, they definitely be able to increase it. I don't know. But yeah, like really good game. And it's, you know, draws are always cool. Like even when you're involved in them, it's a really, really odd feeling. I can tell you, I was there at the 2010 grand final. It's a really, really odd feeling, a draw. <clears throat> and it's not the only draw I've been at, but yeah, it's an odd feeling, but it's still kind of, it's very unique. It's rare. So, yeah, what do we have? Two of them last year in shortened quarters. So, you know, figure that way you will. But, yeah, first one for this year. So, um, yeah, I do, I'm do. i a fan of a draw. means the game was good, usually. Um, and this was a pretty good game. Pretty exciting finish. Um, all right. Today? Oh, no, sorry. I was about to jump to today's game. I haven't even talked about Josh Kennedy and West Coast and Nat Nui and all that amazing stuff that happened at Optus Stadium last night. This is, I've said this about a few games, but I think at the moment this is the game of the year. This was amazing. Amazing. Every single game should be West Coast versus Richmond at Optus Stadium. This was Amazing. Optus Stadium is an amazing venue. It is amazing. It's a shame that we couldn't, like, that the WA wouldn't let us play more games there last year because it is a brilliant venue. It looks amazing. The crowd there, when it's a home crowd, uh, even for the Dreamtime game where there was no WA team involved, the crowds are amazing, and the crowd for this was epic. It gave me goosebumps watching this game. It was so fucking cool. Like, you could tell from the beginning, and Nick Nat was the barometer for the whole game, you could tell from the beginning that it was going to be intense and it was going to have an awesome finish. Nat Nui burst out of the blocks in the first quarter, and was completely out of control, right? He's kicking goals, he's roving his own taps, he's charging through like a bloody, you know, rhinoceros. He, he was amazing. He is so terrifying when he plays with that ferocity because he is so big and he has so much speed and power and athleticism. He's really, really cool to watch as long as he's not playing your team. Like, he, he, he was... And that goalie kicked a Ruckman shouldn't be able to do that. Shouldn't be able to do that. It's, it's ridiculous, that goal that he kicked. And, you know, even though, you know, Chole, you know, came out playing quite well himself, he kind of, you know, probably surprised everyone and surprised Nat Nui a little bit, but Nat Nui was just... Well, he was awesome. Um, and then what followed was, you know... One of the best games of the year. It was intense. It was, you know, there was ups and downs. You know, each team had control at different stages. And it was the the controlled game style of West Coast versus the chaos of Richmond. The, the last few years, these two have played in some good games. And it is because of the very intense contrast in the game styles. But in the end, West Coast's control won the day, and it was not actually dissimilar to how they won the 
2018 grand final. That was against Collingwood, but not dissimilar. Kicks up the wing, marks, got over the top, Liam Ryan involved, and then getting a kick to a player in the pocket. And Kennedy nailing that goal. That footage of him celebrating to the crowd and all those people going nuts is an amazing bit of footage. Gives me goosebumps thinking about it and talking about it. Amazing. Amazing end to the game. Like, when you watch a game like that, you just go, how good is this? Football's not perfect, and your team doesn't win every week. And there's always problems like, you know, MRO issues or <clears throat> or umpiring issues. But, gee, when, when a game like that is put together, it just, like, if you want to show someone our sport and get them interested in our sport, those kind of games are what you show them. That was just great. Bravo, Richmond and West Coast for putting on a spectacle like that. Um, West Coast are now, have, they've got themselves back into the conversation of perhaps winning the grand final this year. And when they play this way, they can win it. When they're on, they can win against anyone. They've been far from perfect this year, West Coast, but they this is a really, really big game to win. Really big game. It's going to cement their spot in the top eight now. Um, and it's going to give them a lot of confidence. If they can, if they can knock off a couple more top eight sides before the end of the year, like they will have a lot of confidence going into September. Um, Richmond, on the other hand, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I will never count them out until they have been eliminated from this season. But. This is normally the game that they would, the kind of game that they would win. That they would just find a way to win, and they didn't. And they're now hanging on to eighth spot. They're going to have to hang on tight. They're going to have to work hard to keep themselves in finals. Um, you know, I, I, they're not going to fall out. They won't let that happen. But it's going to be a little bit harder than what they're used to getting there, getting to the end outside the top four. So it'll be really, really interesting to see how that goes if that is in fact what ends up happening. All right, on to today's festivities. The AFL does all of these charity events and these specialty rounds and all of that brilliantly. They always do it really well. Indigenous round, multicultural round, yeah, Maddie's vision, um, all, the, all the different... There's loads of others, I'm forgetting them, but there's always, oh, Anzac Day, obviously, like, all the specialty games and rounds, the AFL just nails it, and, and the big freeze is always one of the big marquee events, um, this year, a little bit different, doing the slide at an empty MCG, the slide was still really, really well done, lots of fun, good outfits, um, it's just, you know, it's just a bit of enjoyment, good way, good way to raise money. Um, and, and yeah, like to see Neil the way he is, is a little bit, you know, it's tough. But if, if 
there is no better place to get a healthy little dose of perspective than watching how Neil Danaher conducts himself. He is an inspiration, and it is sad to see him like that, but it's not the way that he's thinking about it. He is just living every day like it's a blessing, which for him it kind of is, and he's just having a good time. And, you know, it's a really, really, you know, when your days are literally numbered, like he has a disease that they don't know how to fix and he's going to die at some point from it, right? He, he has outlived the normal life expectancy of this disease by about four years, so he's doing really, really well, but at some point, you know, he won't be able to go on. Um, but yeah, he, just the way that he conducts himself is an absolute inspiration, and what he's chosen to do with his remaining years, raise money so that people in the future don't have to go through what he's going through. Like, he is a fucking hero. There's all different sorts of heroes, but God, he is an Australian hero and an icon. And he was brilliant again today, been brilliant all week. Um, hopefully he's still around to see it at a packed MCG this year. And I'll say one thing, I really hope for him that Melbourne can win the flag this year. Because if, if there's anyone who deserves to see their team win a flag, I believe in his lifetime they haven't won one. Maybe they may have been very, very young when they won their last one. I'm not sure. Um, as when I say very young, I mean like a baby. I don't know. But, you know, in his lifetime, they haven't won one that he can remember, at least. So if they could do that, that'd be really, really special for him and for, you know, all the Melbourne supporters who haven't seen one, which is most of them. But yeah, good on you, Neil. You're a champion. Um, and the game and Nathan Buckley. Of course, this is what would happen. Of Like, everyone goes, oh, you know, I bet you Collingwood get up. Bet you they do it for Bucks. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Everyone jokes about it. But of course that's what would happen. Why is anyone surprised that Collingwood won? No one should be surprised. Everyone would have tipped Melbourne. Everyone. But no one should be surprised that Collingwood won. Because this is what happens. right? Especially when it's someone like Nathan Buckley. And... I don't think that just the, like the way that they've played in the last month is grounds for him to keep his job. I think there are, you know, problems that are, that are going to linger and reveal themselves again <clears throat> in the months to come. But he can be really proud that he's departed the club with the, you know, on-field performance in really, really good shape. Because their last month has been a 10-point loss to Geelong, a 1-point loss to Port Adelaide, a victory over Adelaide in Adelaide, and then beating Melbourne, who are on top of the ladder and have been all year. Really, really good form, the column that are actually in right now. Um, and the 
last two weeks, the way they've played has been superb. Take the game on. Their run and their carry and their spread. It, and, you know, Melbourne had no answer for it. Melbourne has been really good at that all year, all the midfield stuff, and they had no answer for it. The young, um, what's his name, Lynch, young ruckman for the Pies, <clears throat> he outrucked Max Gorn, at least early on in the game, and, and it all just flowed on from there. Their midfield had complete control, their back line was solid, and obviously they were able to score. Pendlebury was brilliant, played the game of his life, for, you know, his good mate. He, he's always supported Bucks. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll, they'll both be so proud that he won best on ground on this day. Um, but yeah, this, this is the benchmark now for the wake. I don't know what Robert Harvey is going to do differently in terms of coaching style, but this is the benchmark. This is how they need to play now. They can play really well. They're not the bottom four side at all. Um... Melbourne, um, th- they're still probably going to finish on top of the ladder, if not top two, but it, it, there's a little bit of a mindset problem, I think. Like it, They would never say this, obviously, but it seemed like they walked into this game assuming they were going to win. Which, like, it seems they did not consider how emotionally charged it was going to be, um, and they just assumed their game plan was going to be enough. But, I mean, I would have no idea how you would approach this, but when you're coming up against a side who maybe has, you know, a veteran retiring or a coach on the way out, like, you've you got to approach it with more desperation and ferocity than normal because the other team's just going to be different. I mean, you say emotions don't play a role in how well a team plays, that is utter, utter bullshit. It is a huge factor, huge factor, and Melbourne just seemed to not consider it at all. And, you know, Collingwood, especially moving the ball inside 50, they did something that was really effective. May and Lever are the two best key defenders in the competition. They have been enormous this year. So what do Collingwood do? Don't just kick the ball up in the air going inside 50. They precisely selected and hit targets on the lead, right? Make it impossible for any defender, let alone May and Lever, to actually stop the ball once it's come inside 50. Hit a teammate on the chest and get a shot at goal. Collingwood did that a lot. They did it really well. Um, So, you know, Melbourne are... Vulnerable. Um, I'm assuming they just had an off day because they didn't go into the game with the right mindset. Um, but they're definitely vulnerable, and that's what we learned today. Um, but yeah, it was a good game. Pretty good crowd at the SCG. They raised a lot of money for Fight MND, so it, it was just a brilliant day. All in all, we got the great scenes at the end of Bucks with the team and singing the song and his, and his boys and all of that. It was just a really, really good day for people and for football today. Let me talk about St Kilda. So, the game first. Obviously, I was wrapped with how we played in the first half. Really, really, oh, really, really impressed. You know, we kept Adelaide scores for a good while there. I was like, yeah, this is Saints footy. This is how you do it, right? You know, we, we pressured and we scored heavily and 
you know, Adelaide looked really poor. Like, they were turning the ball over. They, they really couldn't have any impact going inside 50. Tom Highmore was marking everything. He was fucking fantastic. Um, really, really good game. It was like, it's like his seventh game of his career. He was amazing. Um, and then in the second half, it just stopped. Crouch kicked a goal to put us 36 points up early in the third quarter. And then we didn't kick another goal for the rest of the game. Adelaide <clears throat> piled on another seven. And that was that. Let me talk about that last quarter. So I blame a few people for what happened. I blame Rats and the coaching staff for not having in place an effective system of what to do in this situation. You're in front by a few goals. The the opposition is coming hard. It started to rain. Um, All we needed was one goal, and that would have been it. It would have shut down Adelaide's confidence. They would have known it was too much. The weather would have made it really difficult. That would have been it. One goal. That's all we needed. We needed more impact around the ball in the midfield. Adelaide completely ripped us apart in the contested possessions in the last quarter. And then our effort just faded away. There was lots of really damning vision of Adelaide players running in waves and St Kilda players just lagging behind with the game in the balance. And then the the game plan of the last quarter, like I understand it, right? So what they did over and over and over again, six times in a row in fact, because Adelaide kicked six behinds and everything after every time we had a kick in from those behinds we did the exact same thing kick long up the line to a contest, right? And when you're trying to conserve the game, like that kind of makes sense, right? Kick up to a contest near the boundary, hope it either is a ball up or it goes out of bounds or you can maybe take a mark. It's, you know, it's you're playing the percentages, right? We did it six times in a row. And no times did it work. Pretty much every time it came straight back inside 50. And I blame the coaches for not being able to get a message out to fucking change what they were doing, but I also blame one of our leaders, Dougal Howard, right? Like I said, there's nothing wrong with that game plan, kicking up the line to a contest, but you need to identify when to change it up. And when you're a leader on the field, that is your job. Sometimes the coach's messages can't get out fast enough or can't get out at all in the right moment. With Steele on the bench, with Paddy on the bench, with Membry and Ross in Melbourne, um, with, you know, Geary on the, on the bench, you know, virtually an assistant coach. It was really up to Dukes. He's the most senior person on the ground. And he was doing every single one of these kick-ins, right? He was the guy kicking it in, kicking it 60 metres up the wing to no effect. Now, obviously this is not, like, the smartest thing to do. But in this, like, the smartest thing also was for Riley Philthorpe to not try and kick that goal over his head. But he gave it a go and it worked out for him, right? 
if I'm Dougal Howard and I've just done four kick-ins in a row and they've all come back over my head, go the other way. Obviously, it was preset that they would all go over to that left-hand wing, clog it up, force a contest, whatever. They were trying to keep the ball, I believe, away from the bench, even though the bench had Steele and Ryder on it for us. I'm sure there were Adelaide players that were trying to keep off the ground. But my God, kick it the other way. Even if every single player on the ground is on the other side, you start running the other way, I bet you're going to see some players leading for you, right? If every player is on the left-hand side of the ground, right? If Dukes starts running up the right-hand side, it'll open up the whole ground, right? Because you'll get all the players who are the most inside of that group of players, they'll all start leading towards Howard. They'll lead out to the opposite wing and become a target, right? And so much more likely to end up scoring when you've got one-on-one contests being created all over the ground. But no, Dukes failed as a leader. Um, I don't know if he was under strict instructions to not deviate from that plan. Um, Even if he was, he needs to have the guts and the, you know, I keep fucking playing with this paperclip and dropping it. Um, He needs to have the, the guts and the knowledge to see that it's not working and actually do something different. And he just didn't. And of course Adelaide were going to win. I refused to believe it as it was happening. I was like, no, we'll be right. Oh, they've kicked another. Oh, no, we'll be fine. It's okay. Still three. Oh, no, they've kicked another one. Oh, it's down two goals now. And then they, and of course it ends the way it ends with Philthorpe picking that ridiculous goal over his head. Very, very talented kid. Um, And that was just the straw that broke the camel's back for me. This year has just been a little bit too much. As a Saints fan, we've had all the injuries. We've had, you know, Paddy having to take time off. Obviously not an issue at all, but having him out of the team hurt. Um, By the way, I was wrapped with how the entire community got around him after that racist tweet by that piece of shit scumbag. Um, would have been nice if Jack Higgins and Max King had had the same kind of support when they were getting ragged on. But you know, it's still good that you know everyone, literally everyone, stood up against that pig and snuffed it out pretty quickly, including Paddy. He, he had some pretty strong words on it, which was good. Um, yeah, all the injuries, all the thrashings, that we've had to endure um, all the lackluster victories that, you know, were very unimpressive, um, all the off-field stuff, all the stuff with Max, and then the stuff with Higgins, now the stuff with Paddy, um, you know, yet with the injuries, there's just another long-term injury every week. Now Clark gone for six to eight weeks, which is basically the rest of the year. Um, it's, it's just been a little bit too much this year, given the expectations that were on us. And, you know, it's fine if you're losing when you've got injuries and, you know, you're still playing a good brand of footy. Like North haven't been playing bad. They just don't have the cattle. They've been losing, which is fine. 
But St Kilda's efforts on field, you know, probably 75% of the time have just been absolutely pathetic. And I don't know what it's going to take for the players and the coaches to understand what they are doing to the fans. But it's just, it's just too much for us. It's too much. Like, there's plenty of players in the team who are Saints fans, like grew up Saints supporters. Higgins, King, Jones, Sinclair, Billings, like all these guys, they're Saints fans. But there are too many who I just don't think really feel the weight of, you know... I mean, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they feel the pressure. I'm sure they are determined, but they're not determined enough. I don't know if it's the coaching staff not working hard enough to try and figure out, you know, to be able to troubleshoot different things. I don't know if it's the conditioning staff. I don't know if it's the players just not mentally being in it. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is because it seems like everything has completely fallen apart. I am worried that the injuries we have had are not just bad luck, that there is a conditioning issue at the club. Hanabry is a good example of this. Once again, has re-injured his calf and will never play AFL again. I'll be amazed if he can get another game in because he is just... He's cursed. And, you know, now with him, I'm wondering if he knew what St Kilda were getting themselves into by bringing him across... I don't know, obviously St Kilda couldn't have known, but I wonder if he knew. I wonder if he knew where his body was at better than maybe a doctor did. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just been a little bit too much to handle this year, and that game on Saturday just broke me. I think it broke a lot of Saints fans. It was just like losing to Sydney in a close one was a bit different because they're a top team, and it was a very even game throughout. But to be completely in control of Adelaide, who are a you know, bottom four side, and then have them run over the top of us and us not even give a yelp. It's just so disappointing. And uh, This year, is, it's been gone for a few weeks now, this year, but the way that they're going, I don't even know what they're going to be able to salvage. Um, like they need to go into the preseason with something to hang their hat on. And I don't even know how they are going to approach the off season. Are they going to go with, you know, huge changes, sack a ton of the coaches, you know, delist a bunch of players. Like, I don't know which extreme they go to stick with what they've got or completely axe everything they've got. There are plenty of players who could be moved on. Um, there'll be retirements, Geary, Carlisle, Frawley, I think all retire. Hanabry, I think, should retire. He's still got another year on his contract. Um, I don't know if he retires or if he sticks at it. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of players on the fringe who are just not contributing enough. Ben Long is one who has really fallen off this year can barely get into the team and he was you know pretty meh on the weekend I thought he was a really really talented young 
player, but this year he's just really, you know, lost that edge that he had. Um, I thought moving him to halfback last year was a really good move and it worked, but Sinclair's come in and Webster's back to full fitness, so he's sort of lost his place long. Um, there's other players like Joyce and Mackenzie who have been around for a long time but can't, you know, stay in the team. Even a player like Loney, who I think has enormous potential, cannot find consistency. And when he does get into the team, he sometimes just lacks impact when we really need him. Um, Butler has continued... He hasn't had a good game all year. He hasn't. I don't think he's kicked 10 goals. He wouldn't have. <laughs> he's probably kicked like eight. Um... Hill has been better in the last couple of weeks that they've stuck with him across half-back, and I think it's probably the way to go. Um, but now with Clark out, I think he'll have to move back into the midfield, be more on a wing. I don't know. Um, Max was actually really, really good on Saturday. I've got to give him some credit. He was brilliant. Took a lot of marks. Kicked two goals straight. He was good. Um, but, yeah, um the thing with footy classified that I wanted to mention, something it's really, really frustrating the way that some um, people in the media are treating St Kilda. Obviously, footy classified had a really, really disgusting segment on Jack Higgins last week um, where they said that, you know, he needed to get over... Well, not that he needed to get over, that people needed to get over it because he hadn't said anything about the Missy Higgins, you know, thing at all. But people needed to get over it. They didn't see what the big deal was. They, there is such a double standard. You know, there are the big successful teams in the competition and then there are the little unsuccessful teams that no one gives a fuck about, right? And St Kilda's one of them. St Kilda is going through a very, very tough period. Um, injuries, being crap on field and rather than dissecting the game and what went wrong with our system and our effort, they, they did five minutes on whether Tim Membry and Seb Ross should have come back to Melbourne to be with their wives. So during the week, Membry and Ross flew back to Melbourne because Membry's wife is expecting a baby in the next week or so, and Ross's wife had twins uh, I think four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. Um, so Ross wanted to, you know, come back to Melbourne to help because his wife has twins and memory coming back because he just wanted to be here in the last few days, you know, before his baby arrives or in case it came early. And Caro, Caroline Wilson, who I normally don't have a problem with, like, you know, she's a little bit abrasive, but I don't have a huge problem with her. Um, she just went on and on and on about how they shouldn't have come back to Melbourne. They think she thought it was weak, a weak reason for them to leave the club. And she had, you know, these unsubstantiated claims that the club had asked the boys to stay and asked them not to go, which would never in a million years ever happen. If a club has a player who wants to, you know, return home to be with their family... For whatever reason, they let him go, right? Do you think they asked Paddy Ryder to stay when he said he needed to go and be with his family for a bit? No. Right? 
So it doesn't matter how much of a must-win game it was, there is no way in a million years that the club would have, you know, said one word about the boys coming back to Melbourne. Not one fucking word. You know, she carried on. She was like, no, 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 like they, you know, they should have stayed so that the team could win. Like, they didn't need to come back to Melbourne. Like, I'm sure, you know, Seb Ross's wife could have got help from somewhere else. Tim Membry's wife's baby isn't even due this week. She went on and on and I just wanted to fucking kill her. How dare you? How dare you? And Matthew Lloyd, who's a champion and an absolute gentleman... When, when she deferred to him, he was like, I'm not going to comment on anything without knowing how their wives are feeling. Like, if their wives are really struggling, of course they want their husbands to come home and help them out. So he answered that with a lot of class, and of course Kane Corns did not. Um, but I just could not believe it. Like, a couple of our, you know, leaders, granted, coming back to Melbourne <clears throat> before a must-win game is, you know, of importance, but there's nothing you can do about it. it. It's the same as an injury. It's just the way it is. They had to come back. You know, the issue was how the players who were there performed. <clears throat> so, yeah, I just couldn't believe it when I saw that just before. It was quite astounding to see that. Anyway, um, I hope that so secure to have the bye this week. They need to regroup. Um, they need to do a little mini review, definitely. Hopefully we get Marshall back after the bye. Um, Jones won't be far away. That's about it. Everyone else is pretty much long-term. Everyone else who is important. Um, yeah, I don't know. This year's gone. Hopefully we can salvage something from it. Get games into the young fellas. Burns, Bytel, Claverick. <clears throat> Cleverino, Highmore, get games into them. See see what they've got. Um, once we get back to Melbourne, get games into the mid-year picks. Um, Sharman and Heath. Give Heath a run. I think that'd be great. Um, but yes, very, very disappointing game on Saturday. I mean, fair credit to Adelaide. Well done. Like To, to get back on top in the midfield and you know, continue to press and press and press in that last quarter and actually get the win. Um, shows that they've got something. That they're, 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 you know, in the right direction. So good on them. Got to acknowledge their side. All right, that will do for this one, guys. Sorry it was all woe is me about St Kilda, but just, you know, St Kilda fans have done it rough for a really long time. And we have a, we had a lot of expectations going into this year, and they have just been shat all over. And it has been brutal. It has been very, very tough to swallow. Um, but yes, it can only get better from here. Famous last words. Okay, thanks so much for listening, guys. Remember to like the podcast, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Follow me on Instagram at timespin underscore podcast if this if that isn't where you found the podcast. Um, I've got a, a fun 
footy episode that's going to come during the week. Just a little quick one, but it's something I had a bit of fun doing. So look forward to that if you if you're into my AFL content. All right, I will catch you guys next time. Bye.